Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time 2, a quarantine anthology. And it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all, please pre-order this book. I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented. Um, just to give you a few, um, Chris Bajalian, uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes, Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin, Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman. And that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents. So please pick up this book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. It's available anywhere you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me. And 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the, at the front, will be there. And you can be there too. So if you go to my website, zibbyowens.com, and just click on Anthology and go to Book Tour, you will see um, a whole fundraiser section. And for $50, um, you can attend. You'll get a copy of the book, and you'll get to schmooze on Zoom with all of these amazing authors. This is like going to be the literary happening of February. So please come. I would love to see you all in person on Zoom, I guess, but even see some of your faces. I know so many of you are really loyal listeners, and that makes me really happy. All proceeds of the book and the fundraiser are going to the Susan Felice Owens Program for COVID-19 Vaccine Research at Mount Sinai Health System. And it is named after my husband's mother, who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode is brought to you by Page and Pairing. Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you book wine, and recipe recommendations, plus exclusive perks like author interviews and essays, music playlists, and writing tips. Sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. And if you're tired of wondering what to read, drink, and cook, Page and Pairing does it all for you, dropping all three into your inbox. Books are definitely better when paired with great wine and delicious food. So Page and Pairing is the weekly email that brings you all three curated for your pleasure and dropped in your inbox. Again, sign up for free at pageandpairing.com. 
Rio Cortez is a writer and Pushcart Prize-nominated poet who has received fellowships from Poets House, Cave Canem, and Cardo Mundo Foundations. Her work has appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, the Miami Rail, and Mother Magazine, among others. Rio is the author of I Have Learned to Define a Field as a Space Between Mountains and the ABCs of Black History. Born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, Rio writes and lives in Harlem, New York. Her daughter was the inspiration for this book. Welcome, Rio. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Zibi. It's my pleasure. I loved this children's book, The ABCs of Black History. Not that it's even just for children. It's just really an awesome book, but I should call it this illustrated work, picture book. How about that? <laughs> illustrated picture book. That's <laughs> very generous of you. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, I know you're this Pushcart nominated poet and now you've written this book. And by the way, we have to talk about your essay about your pregnancy. So just put that in the back burner because I like was obsessed with that essay. But tell me first about this book and how it came to be, The ABCs of Black History. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, I mostly write poetry and for adults. And this book is also a poem. It's a long poem. It's told in rhyming verse. And it came to be through a conversation with my editor, Tracy Todd, who's at Workman about what's missing in the children's book world. And so I started writing this when I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now two years old. And we kind of worked on it collaboratively, and now it's in the world. But I think it was mostly because I was interested in presenting more lesser-known figures in Black history to younger children, because I feel like that's something... I feel like when I encountered Black history as a kid or in elementary school, I like clung to every little crumb. And I grew up in Utah, and so I feel like perhaps those crumbs were even fewer or smaller. And so I just sort of wanted to provide better morsels, I think, for young readers. And so that's kind of what this book is. Tell me about growing up in Utah. Where, what part of Utah and what was, what was the Black community like there? Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, small was the Black community was small. I think it always has been, but growing up in Utah was great in some ways. It's a beautiful place. I grew up in Salt Lake City. My family is all still in Salt Lake City. And they've been there for a really, well, my mom's side, my mom is Black American. My father's Puerto Rican from New York City. But my mother's side's been in Salt Lake since Reconstruction. So they went after the abolition of slavery. They were enslaved in Louisiana. They traveled West by coach and train, and they are part of the first Black settlers in the state of Utah. And so they've been there for a really long time, but it didn't make growing up there Black any easier for me, unfortunately. I think, I feel like there's just generations of my family who've been like really some of the only Black students in schools there and in their communities and neighborhoods. So it was an interesting place to grow up. It's informed a lot of my poetry, but I think probably some early interest in Black history, trying to figure out why we were there. I think were some of my earliest questions. That's amazing so. that your family knows that you have all the details of that piece of history <laughs> and that you've retained that over all the generations. Do you have artifacts or anything else from that time? Yeah, a little. So it, my family isn't of the Mormon faith, but you might know that the Mormon church is really good at genealogy. And so I think to our benefit, there's just a lot of record keeping in the state of Utah and really good historical Record. So, yes, one relative of mine who is my great grandfather was a famous Black Mormon, sort of a singular conversion in our family. And it, his story through the church 
and their bookkeeping has really made it easy for us to kind of know a lot more about our family. So he testified to the Mormon faith and he traveled on behalf of the church and he wrote a book, like a pamphlet called The Negro Pioneer, in which he even names the family that owned our family in Louisiana. And so I feel really lucky in a way to have so much access to our family's history. And I think a lot of Black Americans aren't able to access that. So, wow. But yeah. I mean, that feels like, an, feels like another book to me in there. Just, I feel <laughs> yeah. like you need to... You need to maybe pine those archives a little for some more stories. That's yeah. that's really powerful. You don't often hear about that in anybody's family, frankly, but just how people got there. I'm always so interested, like, how did you end up in Salt Lake City? So how did your New York Puerto Rican father fall into this family? How did they meet? It's a really, that's a, that's a longer story, but my dad grew up in the Lower East Side and he was in the Lower East Side and got into a little bit of trouble and ended up going West. And so he stayed, he ended up in Utah and he met my mother and they've been together for 30 years. So wow, lovely. Yeah. But, but yeah, his family is a little bit more, it's very different, but he's Afro-Puerto Rican, and I have still have a lot of relatives in New York City, and so that's made it, it's made it a little nicer living here for so long. I'm in New York City too, so one of these days we can meet up. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I didn't intend to like delve into your family business, but I'm so no, interested in hearing all of that and how everybody came to be. Well, thank you for all of that. <laughs> you know, in this book, I actually, my favorite page was the diaspora page. I don't know why, but I love how, and I'm showing this for people listening, you can watch on YouTube or whatever, but just how far everybody traveled and all the bigger spots for the community in the United States even. But P.S., there is no Utah on this map. I don't know. (laughs) I think you need to go back. So even just seeing like how far everybody traveled and, you know, just all the amazing accomplishments, like all the sports rock stars and the musicians and just from Jesse Owens, Gabby Douglas, and the Queens, and I love that you included Michelle Obama in there. That was a nice touch. <laughs> the organizers, newspapers, holidays, really awesome. How did you collaborate? How did you end up collaborating with Lauren Semmer, your illustrator? Through email, back and forth. So we actually have never met in person, which is, I think, probably the story of a lot of author illustrators, but I don't know. So I would I wrote the manuscript, and then she would do a draft of illustrations, and then between our mutual editor, we would make changes through text and image. And we might say like, actually, I don't think you need to say this. It can be shown. And so it was all th- all through email, but she's really wonderful and talented. And this is her debut also. So Aww, it's kind of amazing. And yeah. Tell me about your book of poetry, which now I have to go back and read. I'm sorry that I haven't. It's actually a very limited press edition from Highlight Books out of Miami. So it's not like easy to grab at your local bookstore, but it is, it's a lot of poetry about Utah to, to put it quite simply. It's not just about Utah. It's also about belonging and racial identity and finding yourself in places in worlds that aren't meant for you. But that's a little bit about my adult poetry. And how did you become a writer to begin with? When did you start writing poetry and books and when did you know that was your calling? Well, I wrote when I was really young. I feel lucky that way too. I think poetry really found me when I was in the third grade and it kind of saved my life. I think poetry has been there through every up and down in my life. And it's actually how I met my partner. We're both part of a Black poetry fellowship called Kabe Kanem and we met there. And so 
I think to be honest with you, in the third grade, the John Singleton movie Poetic Justice came out and it just spoke to my little broody heart. And I just, it was like the first time I encountered poetry. I didn't grow up in a household with people who read poetry. I don't think a lot of people do, but some lucky, some lucky ones. And so that's how poetry found me through film, which is kind of funny, but it just stayed with me my whole life. And I ended up studying poetry at Sarah Lawrence and at NYU. So I was lucky enough to do that too. But yeah, it never left after <laughs> that John Singleton movie. Wow. You should do like a party yeah. where you screen the movie for like and like to debut your book or something. You should you should somehow or you could do like a Facebook watch party of the movie and like that would be fun. That's brilliant. There's some scenes I feel like that we could definitely watch together. All right. Well, send me yeah. the invite because I haven't seen that movie and if I would love to. So that would be a really cool oh, way to pr- cool way to promote a book. I also want to talk about your essay, which was so beautiful in Mother Magazine about being a Black mother, but it could have been any kind of mother. I mean, it was about how when, as soon as you become pregnant, you basically become a receptacle for everybody's story and you're not necessarily prepared for that. And then you become sort of the story keeper. You even referenced your, like the security guard in your building and her episiotomy and just how much detail people would share with you as soon as they saw your belly. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I think I, and when I was pregnant, I was going, it was such such a new experience to me. And that was really fascinating also because I've had a woman's body my whole life and everybody goes through the experience of being born, but it felt like I had no information whatsoever about being pregnant. It felt like I was cramming for an exam that was like imminent, you know, and it felt like over my life, I should have known more about, about the, about the birth experience. And so for me, that said that it was like, it felt illicit and like really quiet, like sort of the, the actual, I, you know, you see a woman and I think I talk about this, like on Instagram or something and it's, she's pregnant. And then like seven days later, she's like holding a baby in a hospital bed and it all seems just so perfect. And I think that's part of what I was experiencing as a pregnant woman is that women want to tell these stories and it doesn't feel like there's a really welcome place for them in the world to talk about the details of their birth and labor. And it's monumental and life-changing. And to not really have an outlet for those conversations is like, is just suffocating. And so when I was pregnant, it felt like an invitation to women to say to me like, oh my God, like I went through this and this and this and so many intimate details of women that I had worked with or seen every single day and now knew part of their medical history, which was so interesting. And I think part of that gives you a little anxiety as a pregnant woman also, because especially for a first time mother, like I was not knowing and not ever being able to know what your birth story will look like or your labor story will look like. So you're ingesting all of these other people's stories and and applying them to yourself and seeing yourself in those situations and wondering how you would cope. And, and so there's a little bit of that, but it's also gratitude that I felt because I felt like I was getting closer to all these women around me and that we had this thread between us that connected us. But again, on the other hand, it made me feel like they shouldn't be so silenced and there shouldn't be so much silence around the process of labor and delivery and childbirth and fertility and all of these issues. And I think those stories are coming more and more, but still between women, but they should really be between everybody. So 
That's sort of what I was thinking about when I wrote that essay. I didn't think it started because I went to like a fundraising gala and I was found myself like six months postpartum sitting next to a pregnant woman. And I was like doing the exact, like I couldn't stop myself from just like addressing her pregnancy and my experience. And so I was like, wow, it really is. It's just like a thing. So I was asking her all these questions and I was like telling her about my C-section. I'm like, this woman doesn't need to know all of this about me, but here I am like never out of the house and had like a newborn. And I just was like unloading on her and thinking about what drives that impulse, I think. Was the gala for the Schomburg Center? It was for, it's called Black Girl Magic Gala. It was organized by Mahogany Brown and they do really great work in like the urban word community and young poets and stuff like that. So that's what it was for. So it was really lovely experience. It was like my first time out of the house and she had no idea. I mean, I had no idea really what it was going to be like. And I was like without my child and I was just bothering strangers. Not bothering. I'm sure it was super helpful to her. I think that happens to everybody. I think that's, it was such a relatable story because all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? This all happens to every woman who has a baby. Are you kidding me? You know, there's so many, I mean, everybody has their own particular journey, but yeah, the medical stuff alone, I I have four kids and I won't even get into (laughs) all that, but I can share a lot of stories with you too. I remember being (laughs) pregnant with my twins and we had, you know, they, they said you had to like have like some sort of course on I don't know, childbirth, which is so ridiculous. But anyway, I couldn't leave the house. I was on bed rest. So someone like came over and was like telling me about all the options for childbirth. And I was like, where is option C? I don't like options A or B. I No, 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 no thanks. And then I'm like, right. but I can't turn this clock around. I can't turn this around. Like they've got to come out somehow. Oh. Anyway, it was like a nightmare, but yes. I this And this is like a comp, people say this all the time, but another mother said this to me and she was like, the only way out is through. And I thought that the entire way through my pregnancy and it said a lot, but it never resonated with me more because you're, you're in the position, it's just like, Things are gonna things are gonna be inevitable one way or the other. And so I would just think to that that to myself. That is another if it's not already taken, that's another great book title, by the way. The only way out is through. I feel like that could also refer to this year, right? <laughs> it's like yeah, you just have no to kidding. keep going. It's like how how has the pandemic how has how has the pandemic been for you, Ria? <laughs> <laughs> lovely time inside. What has this year done to you and your writing and your life and your baby and all the rest? Yeah, she's active. We, it's just been odd. You know, we spent five months in Utah, which I never thought I'd be able to do really. And so that in a way was kind of a beautiful thing that came from it. I feel really far away from our family, but at the same time, it's felt necessary for us to live in New York for career stuff and my husband's career and also for my sanity in some ways. And so, and so it gave us this opportunity to be in Utah and not have those feelings of like missing out, like the FOMO that I would sometimes feel. And so we got to be there in a really quiet way and be around my family, but it's also been really hard. Now we're back in New York, we're in Harlem and we are both working from home and we have a two-year-old who I feel like we're just sitting in front of screens all day long, which is not what I would like to be doing, but we're just sort of, it feels like we're really surviving, like, you know, just getting through the day, like trying to do the things that we need to do. And then with this book coming out, it's been one of those, I keep calling it, it's like a year of horrors and delights, like 
some things have been just truly horrible and then other things have been truly delightful. And so this book being published in the midst of 2020 is one of those delightful things, but yeah, we're just getting by. I don't know what it's been like for you, but yeah, I feel the same way. I think I just posted or put in my newsletter something about like this year is all about joys and sorrows, highs and lows. It's just so, it feels so extreme to me, the depths that, you know, if it's like a sine curve, you know, like instead of just going along, it's like suddenly huge ups, huge downs. And I'm just sort of eager for, to to be closer to that middle line, you know, that I like, I have like whiplash from this, you know, roller coaster (laughs) ride of this year. I'm just like getting a little, getting a little seasick, if you will, a little motion sickness from the whole thing. So I'm ready for normal life in so many ways to come back. But, you know, I recently read this article in the New York Times about toddlers and the pandemic. My kids are older. I have now ages six through 13, but how so many toddlers and infants are getting that socialization that they would have otherwise. And how there was some toddler in the article who saw a person on the street and they're like, "Uh oh, people. And they ran away (laughs) because, and how parents are now so worried about the long-term damage. But the good news from that article, at least, and I should reference the author, but I can't remember who it was, was that that actually makes kids more resilient to have gone through a period of time like this, similar Mm. to kids in the depression and other periods of time where there's immense disruption and everything. So so the good news is there won't be long-term damage, or at least that's what they want us to believe. (laughs) I know we don't know other children. I mean, we don't have a lot of people in our community with children that that are our daughter's age. And so I feel like kids on the street when we're like walking to the car and she'll try to like talk with them. It's just, it's really heartbreaking. It's hard to watch. I'm like, I know that you want to, you'd be such a good friend at this age. You know, she's so chatty and curious and she just spends all her time with the two of us. Oh, I should say, wait, caveat to this, to my summary of the article. It also said, if you have to be part of a loving family. So the strength of the bonds of the family that's, you know, sort of isolated together is the protective factor of for the kids. So it's not just that they'll be fine. It's that as long as they're with loving parents, because of that age, the relationship with the parents is most important. So as long as you're loving and all that stuff, which I can already tell that you are, (laughs) your kid will be fine. So that's great. (laughs) great Yeah. So are you working on anything now? Tell me about your, your work now. Yeah, I'm finishing a collection of poetry that has been like long on the back burner, which I'm about done with. And then I have one picture book manuscript that I'm chipping away at, but it's very near a first draft. So those are... Those are what I'm working on, but hopefully I'll be able to finish the adult poetry first and kind of get that into the world and then and then see where the, the second picture book manuscript goes. But I think a lot about writing a little bit about my family also, like you're saying. So that's just longer term things. It's hard to be focused and creative when you're working full time and obviously when you are a parent and, and balancing all these hats. And I know that there are some really great examples of writers and mothers who have done it before me. So I look to them all the time, but those are things that I'm interested in finishing up some projects that I'm working on. Well, if you have any interest in adding more to your plate, I, I'm doing these anthologies. I have one coming out in February and one coming out in November. If you have any interest in contributing a poem to the anthology about you know their different themes, I could talk to you about it after, but it'd be really neat. I, I don't have any poems yet for the second collection. So let me know. Cool. Yeah. yeah okay. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Oh, I suspected you were going to ask that because I've listened to your podcast. Oh, thank you. And that means you've listened to the end of a podcast. That's even better. Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I do. I think everybody's always saying be true to yourself. And I think that's because that's really good advice. And I've heard, I think I heard Morgan Jerkins recommend writing what you're afraid of. I think that's pretty good advice too. But I also think be patient with yourself. I would suggest too, as a writer, don't put pressure on yourself. Try not to compare yourself to other people and find joy in your writing where you can. So I would say that. Love it. It's not super practical advice, though. I think it's really good for your self-care. Great life <laughs> so. advice too, <laughs> which is great. Everybody can use some life advice. <laughs> well, Rio, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books and talking about your experience. And now I really want to read the book you're going to write about growing up in Utah and your family's history. <laughs> and I can totally see that whole thing as a picture book. Yeah, so get to work on that <laughs> and I'll follow up about the poem and have a great day. Thanks so much. Me too. Thanks so much for having me, Zibi. It's lovely. My pleasure. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks to pageandpairing.com for sponsoring today's episode. Go check them out, pageandpairing.com, the weekly email that brings you book, wine, and recipe recommendations. And just a reminder again, please pre-order a copy of my book, Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology, and go to my website under the anthology tab for the fundraiser, and I hope you'll buy a ticket and join me for, and I should have mentioned um, all proceeds go to COVID-19 research. So please join me for the fundraiser. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time To Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mm-hmm.